1: from the good old days of the county Ground, We're pleased to be joined by Craig Adams, currently Academy Manager at St. Ives Town. We played for the Cobblers back in the early 90s. How are you doing, Craig? You all right?
0: I'm good, thank you, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, no problems. I guess in the sort of like preliminaries for this uh, recording, you've you've pulled a few bits out, haven't you, and had a bit of a reminisce? I nice. have,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and I, I'm very um, proud of my, uh, doing what I did as a local sort of lad you know as well and it brings back fond memories so yeah I've pulled a few bits and pieces out of the loft um, that I unearthed about 18 months ago when I was going through a bit of a family breakup so it was good to find them and, and uh, yeah realise that i still got them so um, yeah found my first professional contract and a few paper clippings and some old team sheets that the gaffer wrote down um, and my name's on them, luckily. So, yeah, just just general bits and pieces. Um, but um, yeah,
1: that's cool. Perhaps yeah. Start off with telling us, like what period you were at the Cobblers from and who your manager was or managers.
0: So as a player, I joined the club um, in 1991 as an apprentice. Uh, back in the day, you were called a, a YTS um yeah. and um, I was there uh, until the end of 1993, 94. Um, so I went through uh, a few managers because it was a it was like I said earlier before we come on, it was uh, financially, the club were in a little bit of uh, a state. Um, you know we um, I remember coming into the bar um, as a first year apprentice. Um, we used to be on jobs back then as as uh, the youth team. So we'd we'd turn up with the players early at the county ground and lads would be on uh, changing room duty. Uh, they'd be on um, the family enclosure duty and things like that. And it just meant that you was in charge of putting the tea hern on or uh, being Dennis's go for the physio at the time, uh, Dennis Casey, God yeah. bless him. So you'd be around him if he needed you to go and run for something. You'd go do a runner, you know, you'd go and get something for him. Uh, you'd be on bar duty, so you'd be in the bar washing glasses for, you know, the, the, the barmaids or whoever's working there. Um, you'd be fetching and carrying kit. If you were on pitch side duty uh, as a YTS lad, you'd be making sure that the, the cones and the footballs and little bits and bobs were ready for the players so they didn't need anything. Um, and I remember going in the bar after one game, um, uh, just after the, the big exodus of players, and we were being paid in plastic bags from the turnstile. So, you know, the little 50p and 20p bags that you you used to take to the bank yeah. with coppers in. And um, I remember being in there and supporters seeing us get paid um, we're in pound well pound notes, 50 pences, and crying um, because of the of the state of the club. Um, yeah. But for me as a player... I didn't care how I got paid, whether I was a YTS lad or a, when I was a professional. Um, I, you know, it didn't mean You know, to to the senior players, your Steve Terry's, your Steve Browns, your, your Terry Angus's, your Stuart Bevans. You know, them sort of players. They, I suppose, for them, they'd been there, seen it, done it, and. Um, you know, for them to get paid in plastic bags was what the hell's going on. But to me, I I, I didn't really it didn't really register. You know, I, I played because I, I loved I actually loved playing for Northampton. That is the that is the truth of the matter. I I grew up in Kingsworth. I went to Kingsworth Upper School. I sat in a classroom at KUS. I don't know if you know on top of the hill, so I could see the floodlights of the County Ground wherever whatever class I was in. I wanted to see the ground. Um, yeah. So for me growing up, it was like, um, yeah. So, so when I joined, I was obviously chuffed to bits. You know, I signed on the pitch and all that um, as, a, as a YTS. My first gaffer was Theo Foley. He was assisted by Joe Kinn, and, and my youth team manager at the time was Billy Best. Um, mm-hmm. Three lovely blokes in in different ways. Um, Billy, one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet, um, and. Then we went through this rough period. Uh, Like we said, McRitchie was the chairman. Whatever happened unfolded. Everyone left and uh, Phil Chard took over, who was like my playing hero, if you like. When I used to live in Cleese, I walked to the ground a lot of Saturdays when I was a a, a young teenager to watch them. Um, You know, especially through them sort of glory years we had when we... We absolutely whiffed Division 4 under Graham Carr and Clive Walker. Uh, You know, the likes of Keith McPherson, Russ Wilcox, Trev Morley, Richard Hill, um, Chardy, um, you know, uh, Warren Donald, Dave Gilbert. What a team. Uh, Just just, um, being in the hotel end when that was all happening as a young kid. And I used to go and stand about eight or nine steps back. And just when we scored, you'd just get lifted up and you're rolling around in the hotel end like off your feet. And <laughs> yeah. it was, it was then to sign for the club and then to, um, play under the gaffer, Phil Chard, um, for me was, yeah, I mean, oh, unbelievable. You know, when he took over under whatever the cloud it was under, you know, Stuart Bevan was then his assistant and, um, Paul Curtis who was actually the uh, youth development officer at the time yeah. he took over as youth team manager and became my youth team manager um, and then so I played there and, and uh, till the end of the season made my first team debut away at Blackpool as a sub actually for the gaffer um, Phil he come off and, and said you go in there and and Mark, um, Trevor Sinclair, and Dave Bamber was up front for Blackpool on the day as well. He said, "You take Sinclair, um, tell Stevie Terry to pick up Bamber," and I did. That the... was
1: a baptism of fire, wasn't it, Trevor Sinclair, um, mate? <laughs> Do you know what? Trevor I, Sinclair,
0: I... what a player! Yeah, I know. And um, we were one-nil down at the time, and, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a hot, sunny day. All, the, all our fans and our fans were brilliant. Um, Home and away. I I used to, I used to dream of playing in front of the hotel end. and never got to do it in front of the in a first team game. Um, Not that counted anyway. I played a few testimonials, but um, we we were away and they were all dressed up. And I come on, and the gaffer said pick uh, Trevor, and I didn't. I went over to Bamba because everything was being aimed at Bamba. And as a centre half, I just wanted to head the ball. And um, the, the ball yeah. got dollied up to him, and I, I, um, I was adrenaline fueled at the time when I won my first header. I felt like a million dollars. And uh, yeah, then I went up for a corner, and we'd revert, we'd this corner on the the Friday, the day before we went up there. And I had to make a run to the front post, and um, and then check back and go to the back post for the flick-ons. So I think Mickey Bell's uh, winged this corner and I went to the towards the front post and checked. And to this day, I still maintain if I'd have just ignored orders and gone to the front post, it, the ball flashed across the front post and yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd have just been there to nod it in. And I still <laughs> regret not just disobeying the orders, you know, but I, I used to do as I was told. So I went into the front post, checked away and and uh, the rest is history. The ball flashed across everyone, and uh, we ended up losing one nil on the day. But yeah, what a day! And then um, uh, I used to get on with all the players. Uh, uh, Bev was amazing as an assistant manager, and uh, he got the video of the game off of uh, Pe- not Pete Norton, who was who used to film them. Gary uh, maybe. Gaz maybe filmed it and gave him the video. So on the way back um we had a uh, tv with video on the on the bus on the way back from blackpool and bev bev forwarded the game to where i came on a sub and they all did the <laughs> chariots of fire uh theme tune as i ran on like so they were we were all watching <laughs> that and little things like that i remember and um yeah and Steve Brown, there was a few pros took me under their wing a little bit, um, you know. So it was quite enthusiastic. I love the love the club, love the lads and that. And Steve Brown, Barry Richardson, especially. I'm still big mates with Baz, um, Stevie Terry. I used to go around his house and pick his brains. He lived in Malden at the time, rented a house there. And um, but Stevie Brown uh, come up to me on the coach on the way back, and he said. Um, C.C. Peniston, I don't know if you remember C.C. Peniston, he said, yeah, C. C. Peniston. Yeah. he said they're on at Ritz's tonight, I've got us tickets um, because you made your debut. He said, meet me outside at, you know, half ten or whatever it was. And uh, there I was that night, so I'd made my debut at Blackpool, got back, um, got doled up, like, you know, in my, in my decent garms and uh, shot down Ritz's and, uh, yeah, met him outside, he took me in. I, felt, I just felt like a player. You know that day and mm-hmm. uh yeah lar- larging it up on diet coke or whatever i was on at the time and um yeah just just remember stuff like that and then uh so this my second uh so got took on as a pro at the end of my second uh second year apprentice uh, i'd had a good year um as a second year went on loan to Kings Lynn. Um, played well there and got a deal off the back of that really, um, because Norwich City had shown a little bit of interest in me uh, as an apprentice, um, being on loan down there, and that, I think that forced forced the club's hand a little bit. So I got signed as a pro. Yeah. Uh, got my contract here in front of me, eighty pound a week um, from the 8th of July. So how much was that?
1: Eighty pounds. Eighty, 80 pound. Craig. Pa-
0: yeah, I was on eighty quid a week as a first year pro. um i'll receive an appearance money of 25 pound when appearing in recognized first team fixtures through the 93 94 football season coca-cola cup fa cup football league auto glass matches only will apply um incentive bonus i did have my incentive bonus sheet but i've lost it i'm sure the coca-cola cup to, to get through was about 300 quid And I was just praying when that Coca-Cola Cup had started early in the season to be in that squad, you know, to feel that the weight of that uh, would have been brilliant. Um, But then the club appointed John Barnwell to come in as, um, he came in as uh, head of football or something ridiculous. And John, we had a brilliant um, atmosphere within, although we wasn't, you know, we were still going through rough times. You know, and we had we had players there that probably wouldn't be playing regular fourth division football. Let's be honest, or third division football, whatever it was back then. Um, you know, I'm, I won't beat about the bush. There was players there that I I didn't really fancy as footballers in the in the football league, but because of the state of the club, they were there. But what, yeah. and we created this, or the club, or the players, the senior players especially created this camaraderie. And it was brilliant. It was a brilliant time to be at the Cobblers and and the supporters knew as well, you know, and I was still deep down a supporter. And and I think that came out in my play when I was uh, playing for the youth or the reserves, you know, because I was a supporter, I used to wear me out on my sleeve and I'd do anything to, you know, to win a game of football. It didn't matter which one it was, um, you know, if it was youth reserves or a a pre-season friendly or a an exhibition game. I remember playing Pete Gleacher's uh, testimonial against uh, Tottenham um, on the on the pitch on a Sunday. I played in Rowley Mills's testimonial against Leicester City, uh, an evening game. I've got the team sheet here for that. And and you know, just any game like that, it meant a lot to me. Uh, but when John came in, things changed a little bit. And I think his mindset was he wanted Char- the Gaffer's job, Phil charge job. Um, and the senior players knew that and they didn't really respect John Barnwell at all. Um, he was good at talking to the press and I think that's how he got it, got the job. He, he, so uh, when John came in, he sent me back out on loan, um, told me he didn't want me there um, uh, very early from an early stage. Um, don't want you here. Get yourself on loan as much as you can. I don't even like you being around the club um so wow. for me yeah that um why was he, he like that with you Craig because he wanted my money to pay he wanted my money to pay he actually told me who he was bringing in f- for me and he wanted my money so when he wanted to get rid of me wow. he told me there was a young lad at Aston Villa called Gary Harrison um I remember the conversation he took me in the referee's room he didn't even take me in his office um he said I want to bring a lad called Gary Harrison in we're we're uh heavy on defenders and we don't need you. And at the time that was that was absolute rubbish because he was signing some terrible players. Uh, I remember him signing Foxy from Birmingham City, I can't remember his first name, and he was like a barrel, he'd given up on himself. Um, can't remember his first name, might have been Pete Fox as a center half. And I thought I was on the verge of playing because I was doing all right, but he just yeah. for one reason or another, managers are like it. He didn't, he did, he wasn't having me. He wanted to fill it with experience. I think that's what he wanted. And this young Gary Harrison, who I actually knew uh, from playing for the county, um, was a forward. So it made sense. I went out on loan. And um, yeah, that was it really. He, he just, he took over and um, did it his way. And as as it goes, he was the worst manager the club's ever had, you know, and it's in it's in history as that. He finished bottom of the league and, I have a yeah. I have massive resentment for John because I loved Northampton town, you know, I was a Northampton town, I grew up, I was a cobbler through and through, I walked to the club to support the club, I I, yeah. did, I, I went to away games off the, off the, you know, as a 14, 15 year old getting trains to it there and everywhere and and just turning up and singing and, uh, you know, then to play for the club and be thinking I'm going to have a career. I remember Gary maybe coming in and we played Brentford in the youth team game as a second year. I was a skipper of the youth team in my second year. I was captain of the reserves as a first year pro. And, uh, you know, like I've said, I, I had ma- massive feelings for the club. And um, Gaz maybe come in, he said, I can't wait to see you play here for the first team the way you just played then. And I remember that night vividly, just because of somebody paying me a compliment. Uh, and I've got that game on video, actually, the Brentford game. And um, yeah, I, me- I remember it. I remember a lot of things because it meant a lot to me. Um, yeah, sure. And and yeah, that was how it was. So um, I left at the and end. How of,
1: did you come to? How did you come to leave the club then? I'm well, praying, I, it was yeah. it literally?
0: So John, John really forced me out. I left with a couple of months of my contract remaining. Uh, didn't, didn't ask for a payout. I didn't want any money off the club. I, I, I had a bit of, bit of taste. I left with, like I say two or three months of that season left. Um I remember one, one occasion we had our, we had our team photo. This is when I knew he hated me. The club had the team photo for 93, 94. And, um, he didn't want me to be in it. So he he come up to me and said, we haven't got enough shirts. And um, he said, so if you, if you just go and train with a youth team, um, you know, and Jesus, that, yeah, that cut me massively uh, not to be in my first year as a pro for the club. Something I'd wanted to do Mm -hmm. for years for him to pull me out of the team photo um, was, um, and I didn't have the, I didn't have the balls to prove, sort of prove him wrong. Almost. I, I went into my shell a little bit um, because I'd never been treated like that before. And, um, yeah. And, and he wasn't a Northampton guy. He was, I think he was a Brummie or something. He come from a West Midlands way or somewhere. And he didn't know, he, he just did, didn't, he just see me as a number, you know, I wasn't, yeah. Yeah. he didn't fancy me and it, it cut me up and, and I shouldn't have let it do that. And, um, but I did, and that that ruined it for me. Um, so, yeah, I left with a couple of months to go. Ended up um, going to... And I played for uh, VS Rugby, they were called at the time. They're now called Rugby Town. And um, yeah, yeah. So I finished the season with them and and did well. We come second in the league. At the time, it was called the Beezer-Holmes League. We come second to Rushden and Diamonds at the time. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so... so um, so Craig, I, I always say
1: though that I always say though that with youth players, right? Okay, because you've been at a club for so long, and if you've got a manager and coaches that believe in you, that counts for so much. But when you're when you leave that club that you've grown up at, you're out on your own, really, and you're and you're schooling at a club, you haven't got coaches that know you, so you're just mm-hmm. literally just out on your own. It must be a difficult one. Do
0: you know what I mean? Very difficult and yeah, very difficult. And I think that's why now I've got such a um, how can I put it? I understand the the young. I've gone through all my coaching badges, my my A license and everything. You know, I'm I'm currently just trying. Uh, I'm on the uh, FA Youth Advanced Award um, uh, sort of certificate as well to to be in that. So I work with 16 to 19 year olds. at right, a non league level, Southern Prem the club is, and and I know uh, a lot a lot of it is psychological. Yeah, Tom, it is, and and you. Um, you you thrive off of that affection, I think, as a player, you do, even mm-hmm. as a senior player, you do. You know, you, your confidence levels are up, or if somebody doesn't fancy you, if you haven't got that mental uh, capacity to take that and prove people wrong, well, you can only take, take so much anyway, it destroys your um, self-esteem and confidence at the same time. And you wonder, yeah. actually, I, I used to drive into the club thinking, oh, I don't even know why I'm coming training, you know. And I used to love, I was always first to the club. And I, I, I can pin off, I used to drive through there and I could pinpoint the dustbin outside uh, the ground that's still there now where I used to park my car, where the main stand was. There's a black um, steel dustbin outside and I used to park there every day. Um, and I used to point it out to the kids and i will say, that's where I used to park when I played for the club you know and, yeah, the, county, um, ground, uh, uh, the county ground yeah the county ground yeah yeah and it was that that ground the the atmosphere on big games um you mm. know was was fantastic as a supporter and um you know when when they obviously they the Meccano stand was there and and it was a bit of a blight on the on the horizon really as a football club but they, we used to that used to help us you know teams used to come to us and think and and, and I think they thought, shit, I can't wait to get away from here. you know, go and play a, a, our own ground or somewhere better, you know, because it wasn't yeah. one of the best looking of grounds. But I, you only knew what it meant, that ground, if you was a Cobblers fan, you only really knew what it meant, you know, to stand in that hotel end and sway around and and have that camaraderie. And there, there is a good core of a couple of thousand supporters every week in that, you know, there was um, yeah. at that ground.
1: You've covered quite a few years in just those um, few, sorry, few sentences and stuff. Sorry, I have, have just chatting, yeah, sorry. It's, it's really no, no. fantastic to
0: no, it's hear. That's good, mate. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's lovely because um, you lived probably me and Martin's dream, really, because we're Northampton lads and we would have loved to play for Cobblers and maybe maybe that cuts to, to a lot of, not of problems, but maybe some players that play for the club recently or now maybe don't understand what it's like when you grow up in the place. But how oh. do you? Did you, Craig, sign, how did you get signed for Cobblers in the first place? Were you scouted or was it a school thing? Or yeah,
0: like? so I, I played for a local uh, boys club called Bective Wanderers um, from about yeah. the age of 11, 12. Um, and then there was a guy that I owe quite a lot to called Brian Knight. Um, he set up um, Timkin Colts, which was basically um, the Northampton Town Academy because the, the Cobblers hadn't got an academy at the time. So, yeah. um, Brian came in, uh, set set the academy up, and we went under the name of Timkin Colts. I don't know why, because but we were based at Timkin. Um, and I think the reserves used to play a lot of their games there at the time, and the youth team used to play on the, the arena pitch and whatnot. So, Timkin was, was sort of part of the club at the time. So, we called Timkin Colts, stayed with Timkin Colts, and I got um, – I was – as a youngster, I was um, – i was pretty good as a youngster yeah so i played for the county i played town boys i played for the midlands and and things were happening and clubs were coming in for me and um you know my dad would would pick the phone up and back then we didn't sign schoolboy forms, so club other clubs were allowed to ring you so i had the likes of Notts county birmingham city wimbledon at the time um west Bromwich albion they were on the phone quite a bit to my dad and, um, we went up to West Brom one Sunday when I was 15 and, uh, I just got blown away by everything. And, um, yeah, I signed for them for my, for my under 16. well, from the last bit of my under 15s to the end of the under 16s, I signed for them, actually captained West Brom under 16s for the season and, um, had a good year. And, uh, but Brian had kept in touch with my dad, Brian Knight, who was running the academy and, um, i got offered a deal at west brom uh, as, as a yts lad or an apprentice and uh, i used to go up on a friday watch the game on a saturday and then play for the 16s on a sunday and i used to feel a little bit sick on on the saturday going back from the game because i would got to sleep away from home again and uh, so i was getting homesick and um, the night uh, before I got offered a deal at West Brom, the Cobblers had rang my dad. So Brian rang the old man and said, we want to give Craig a a, a, a deal, you know, sign him on the youth team. So goes up to West Brom, gets offered a deal, comes back home, we're driving home. My dad says, Cobblers had rang last night. Brian rang. Who do you want to sign for? Northampton or West Brom? I said, Northampton. I've got to sign for Northampton. And um, that was it. So I signed. I, I ended up, Going up there that week, it was just before the end of the season. Um, I've actually got a photo here of, of, of us on the football, on the pitch before the game. And there's um, myself. So if I just, sorry, you won't be able to see this because we're only on audio. There's myself.
1: Um, we'll put it on Twitter if you can take a photo of it maybe for us. I'll be yeah, great.
0: I will. There's a few of us on here. Mark Parsons is on here who played for the club. Jimmy Benton, who was the youngest goal scorer um, away at Carlisle myself and Paul Lamb, Paul Lamb played a few games for the club as well out of our uh, youth uh, team age group. Um, Yeah. Martin Aldridge later signed with our age group as well. He was, he came in on trial in the summer and uh, did well and he got, he got an apprenticeship. So yeah, that's how it happened really. So I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was with Northampton all the way through from about the age of 13, 14. Then I had a year away uh, at the baggies and, um, yeah, just as soon as they said, do you want to sign full-time? Because I thought I'd shot myself in the foot leaving. Um, and, um, you know, Dad said, yeah, Brian's rang, do you want it? And I was like, yeah, to 100%, I want to sign for the club. So, <laughs> you know, it made sense. I lived in Kingshaw, you know, as well. And, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up there, really. And, and being a supporter, I had, I had obviously feelings, you know, so... Um, uh, yeah. So
1: were you a little bit starstruck with like certain players when you when you walked into the dressing room or you see the saw the players? There, were there any, any players at the Cobbers that you thought were pretty good
0: at the um, time? Yes, when I when I signed for the club, uh, obviously I was still watching as many games as I could, even though I was at West Brom for my under-16 years. So I knew of Steve Terry, uh, I knew of Terry Angus, uh, I knew of uh, Stuart Bevan. Obviously Phil Chad was a player at the time who was my absolute hero. Um, from, from early days. Um,
2: yeah.
0: You know, Mickey Bell was there. Stevie Brown was there. Um, yeah, there was, some, there was some t- Tony Adcock, I think. Yeah, Tony Adcock was there. Swerve, Berlinguerner was there. Um, you know, there was a lot of good players. <laughs> Scopey was there, you know. I mean, good characters like Dave Johnson. I don't know if you remember Dave Johnson, but big mm. characters who... who you know, j- just made it easy to, was I in awe of them? No, I, I you know, I, I enjoyed well, I loved going up there and training and you know, when I yeah. I, I played for the reserves at, from an early age because I was quite big from, for what I was, you know, I was I was over six foot, at, you know, sort of 16 and obviously a centre half back then was just, you know your bread and butter was just to go and head the ball and I used to attack the ball and Theo like that and threw me in and you know that was how it was so i i got respect i think off the players early because i i the way i probably played and and was fully committed to to a team i was a team player you know i wasn't an individual um Mm -hmm. so so yeah i that uh, i wasn't in awe no but i i was i was in a uh I was in like I was living my dream, like you said a minute ago. You know, I was a, I was a Northampton yeah. town player. You know, I've got goosebumps just saying that now. You know, I mm. I I represented my hometown club, and and not, not that many people can say that. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it, it it did mean a lot to. It. That's how it was, you know. So yeah, I was I was living my dream, but I wasn't in all of the players. I felt like I belonged early because I I got respect from the players, you know. So. Um, was it like
1: it, um, Craig? Was it was it like School of Hard Knocks? Did they take it easy on you? Or yes. or you Just thrown in.
0: No, it was massive learning curve. So um, yeah. they would they would make your life hell. Some of them um, in in training, especially, and um, you know, and tell you why they do it as well. Um, so I was. I'll give you an example. We used to train at St Andrews Hospital um, on a Friday. I always used to play for the opposition. In the in the shape work again, I was the the, the target man or the centre half. So whatever say we were going to play a oh god a Barnet let's say and they had a Mick Bodley playing for them, I'd be Mick Bodley and they'd say right the gaffer would say Mick Bodley does this on set pieces and I had to do what Mick Bodley did. And um, so Terry Angus would be marking me and he'd shove his elbow across my chest and like mean it you know he'd dig it in and. And I'd be like, you know, I want you to do that for tell kind of thing. And he'd sort of say, toughen up. He said, if I'm marking you, I want you to play like Mick Bodley, not like, you know, Craig Adams, my mate. So then, I, you know, I'd try and rough him up. And, and I still I still see players now. I still knock about a bit with Kev Wilkin and and Stevie Brown. I play a bit of golf with him. And, and you know, I me and Kev have a laugh sometimes. Me and Kev Wilkin in training, we used to have each other by the scruff of the neck like ready for a tear up you know and I was a youth team player he was a he was a you know third or fourth year pro at the time but you learn to stand up for yourself let's put it that way you know so a young upstart 16 17 going in and holding a pro by the scruff of the neck in training was probably without sounding flash it was not right to do but I stood up for myself for definite you know but that was only because I cared um, you know, and I, and so yeah, that it was school of hard knocks, yeah, I remember vividly people like Stevie Terry and Terry Angus um put putting you know, doing stuff in training that you wouldn't expect. and um yeah, it was rough. It was rough, but you needed it, and there's not enough of that these days. um yes but the, but the games evolved, so the game looks different and it, and it's got a different physicality to it. Physically yeah. back then in the nineties was, you know, I remember Pat Gavin smashing my nose playing for he was playing for Peterborough United Reserves. I was playing for Northampton Reserves as a first year apprentice. He's got I've won the first four or five headers. Pat was good in the air, I won the first four or five headers. He came across me on about the fifth or sixth one with his elbow and smashed my nose across my face. I remember being on the on the uh, turf at the county ground. It was freezing cold. There was my blood looked like it was purple pouring out of my face and he bared over me and he said I meant that and I was yeah. like Jesus and about three months later Pat Gavin signed for the club yeah and,
1: the
0: old- um, yeah he signed for the <laughs> club and he came in the changing room and we had a bit of a laugh about it. I don't know the exact conversation with I just remember having a bit of a giggle and that was it and um, yeah he said I meant it and he was trying to pay his bills you know, and I was just an apprentice. And yep. having an apprentice beating you in the air probably wasn't the one when you're trying to pay your bills. So, yeah, exactly. You know, he didn't want that. So, yeah, it was tougher back then. Physical now looks like it's pace, it's, it's power, it's athleticism. And back yep. then it was kind of like, if I'm going to tackle you, I'll see how much I can leave on you so you've got a bit of a knock so you're not as lively. Um, yep. You know, or if you're beating me in the air, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know head the back of your head because I need to win more balls than you do, you know, and that's, that was football back then, you know, I mean, um, yeah, that was it, that was lower league football and, and you know, big thundering challenges, big tackles, you know, I was saying to my scholars the other day, I used to love massive tackles, I would, I would <laughs> love getting up out of a 50-50 and knowing that I'd won the ball and my teammates just saying, you know, Fuck, great tackle, you know, <laughs> that's how I, that's, that was my mentality.
1: Craig, do you remember that game up the county ground v Hereford where they had four players sent off? I do. And they um, they yeah. were absolutely nuts that day. There was some tackles. I think your mate Kevin Wilkin got nailed but five times by them. That was he, a crazy uh, game.
0: Was, I, I don't know if that was Mark Parsons debut, was it, that day. I'm not sure if that was his debut. Might have been yeah, and
1: or something. Greg party Downs
0: three. was playing left back for them at the time. Yeah, the Coventry yeah. City left back. But yeah, I was I was I was an apprentice. Yeah, then um, I think I was a first year then. And uh, yeah, what a mad game that was. Um Crazy because they were they were saying like stay on your feet and all this because the game will get abandoned. So I think if one more of our players got sent off or something like that, the game was. The game would have been shelved or something, you know. <laughs> we weren't winning that many games at the time, so it was almost like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was some, there were some great times up there. There were some great times up there. Barry oh. Richardson would love to tackle. By the way, loved a fifty-fifty. Uh, <laughs> what was he like in
1: the dressing room? Because he had the nickname Psycho, and he was a bit of a character, let's say. What was he like as a person?
0: Um, brilliant, he he was one of the ones that took me under uh, under his wing and uh, after my first year as an apprentice he, me and him went out to Rhodes um, uh, on holiday for two weeks and um, yeah I think I got to know what it was like to be a bloke then, you know I was uh, 17 at the time and he was this big hard Geordie, you know and uh, yeah, just uh, what was he like, he was what you see is what you get is one of the most honest blokes you'll ever meet. Um, away, uh, or, or even within football, he is really generous, um, just a kind bloke. He's, we've had several conversations, I still speak to him now. Uh, he's, he's got me tickets for, you know, when he's been at Peterborough, when he's been at Wickham, I've gone and watched and, and you know, uh, and, and reminisced a little bit for a few minutes. We, the last time I was with him was, not the christmas just gone but the christmas before and uh, we went to watch doncaster rovers play and he was doing a bit of scouting he was in between jobs and um he ended up going to hull and uh, working at Hull. He's the goalkeeper coach at Hull city now but brilliant bloke barry um gave everything he was a monster in training um absolute monster he used to stay behind we'd go to the gym me and him used to go to this place at the bottom of gold street and do boxing as well after after uh, training and whatnot and go down there and it yeah it basically boxed my head off for a little while and um yeah make me feel totally inferior but it was good you know it was again it was growing up and whatnot so barry was amazing yeah
2: just one thing i mean your passion comes across of playing for your hometown club comes across as tom said yeah every, you know every cobblers fans teenage cobblers fans dream and you know you you've lived it for a few years which is fantastic but I think what was really powerful was the um the way you've described the team spirit etc during those really really tough times
0: mm.
2: and probably and, and then it's and that for me at least seems to reflect really well on phil chard mm. and then the the utter sort of classlessness of of barnwell and you know you can still still feel that of it a, a couple of things that something that that strikes me is chardy never went on to do any other managing after that did he i don't think he
0: no he went to play for Kettering afterwards for graham Carr. but i martin i'll tell you now phil chard if he hadn't have been try and word it carefully if he hadn't lost his job the way he had and he was given more time phil chard would have been a successful manager for northampton town um yeah an amazing bloke he's you talk about passion, or you can hear passion. His his desire was uh, second to none. I mean, you, Martin, you must have seen him as a player where yeah. before he went to Wolves, and then when he came back from Wolves, and I, I remember that as well. And um, he was cheated out of being one of the Cobbler's best managers. I think he would have been... Not only because I, I, he liked me. I, I, thought the world of him as a gaffer. Um, he was hard done by. Let's put it that way because he gave a lot to that football club, and massive. You know, and he was mistreated and and poorly. Yeah, they made him be a player after he'd been the manager. You know that how downgrading is that. So he So he continued to get paid. He had to play for the club um you know and he would have been a successful manager given the time he had that edge phil Chad. he if he was given don't forget the club well you won't forget you you know the, the club had very limited resources money wise at that time when he was there and he was still picking up points you know he was still doing yeah. his job he was still getting players in um he was he he um yeah, he was basically... I, I'm biased anyway, because he was one of my heroes and as a, as a, when I was a supporter, and then he signed me as a professional. And, um, yeah, he he, um, he was mistreated massively, and he would have been good for the club. Um,
1: do you reckon you, Craig, do you reckon he was a bit too loyal to the club? He could have probably left a couple of times or whatever. He was a bit classy player and... Yeah. Too um, loyal?
0: Yeah, there, there might have been a bit of that to it, yeah. I mean, he lived in Northampton. I remember going to see him... Um, once not long after i left the club and just um, thanking him, really, um, for everything. And he, I think he lived uh, around Wotton, Watt, uh, I think it was, um, going out on the old Newport Pagnell Road. He lived off one of them estates. But, yeah, he was he was very loyal. I mean, he only had about three clubs, didn't he? he was I think he did a bit at Peterborough. Uh, was it Peterborough? And he, yeah, I think he Northam- started, started yeah.
2: at Walsh, came to us, went to Wolves and Wolves back, back, back
0: to us yeah, and had a short spell at Ketrin, but um, yeah, I, I hold um, the boss in high esteem, 100%, and uh, I'd love to see, I've no, I have not seen him since that day, I don't think, that I popped round his house, and um, since I was probably not, well, I might have been nearly 20 then, yeah, but yeah, not seen him since, and um, I'd love to um, see him, and you know, and and see how he is now and uh, yeah, but Phil Chard was would have been a brilliant manager given the time, hundred percent. And the fans loved Phil Chad. Wow, yeah, I mean, very much so. They loved him. He gave everything, and that's what Northampton Town supporters, that's what they liked They didn't re- Northampton Town supporters don't really care if you're not a world beater if you haven't got the the, the technical ability of other players. They just want to yeah. see you put that shirt on and run and there's nothing that beats energy as as a northampton town fan if you're giving energy and you're putting the miles in you will get supported whatever you're doing thick or thin and i think that's why they loved people like darren harman as well for a season or two you know darren Mm -hmm. will tell you he wasn't he wasn't technically brilliant or or anything but he was about five foot five won every header he went for tackled like a a rabid dog ran around like t- a Tasmanian devil you know <laughs> he was absolutely adored by Northampton Town fans yeah. and then you'd see him on a, fr- a Saturday night out in town having a few pints of Guinness you know with the supporters that goes a long way with Northampton Town fans you know um and and being uh humble as well as a, as a cobbler you know if you've got that the fans they'll they'll buy into you um
1: yeah yeah. That's a good really a good really way well, to well. yeah, that's a good way to sum it up and I I believe that myself as well. I guess with Phil Chad, he had that little extra element of class, not just as a player, but do you reckon um Craigie had that sort of I think managers do need to have that uh, bit of swagger about them as well, just so yeah. to have the respect to the players and maybe Chad had that and just didn't get to show it enough for
0: the how well, long he was at and- the uh, yeah, so you could you could take I think you could take the bosses if you didn't know him he, he might come across a little bit um, with a, a a little side of arrogance as well yeah. um, and, yeah. and, and but it wasn't it wasn't that it was he didn't need to be your mate you know he didn't he, it was I don't know what it was he just had that little bit of class and and, and the society in, in, in every walk of life, are quick to um, try and find a bad point, or try and fi- find something yeah. like that. Oh, he's arrogant. Is this? Is that? You know, not every player got on with the boss, but he did. He didn't really care about that. He was just a winner. You know, he wanted to win games, and, and um, so if he, um, I don't know, he would say what was on his mind to another player, <laughs> like in, in the changing room. If something was going wrong, he would tell them. You know, as a player, as, especially. Um, You know, I don't forget I was a player when he was playing. Then I was a player when he was managing. So I've seen that side of it. I'd be in the change room some half times as a, you know, as a YTS or whatever, um, or as a spare man as well. I was a spare man a lot when there was the days of two subs. I was named a lot as the spare man and I had to travel with the first team and go here, there and everywhere. And, you know, Phil would be the first one to spark something in the change room. Someone doing their job. He would tell them outright, face to face. And he wasn't a fighter. He didn't want to fight. He was just yeah. pointing out, we're trying to do a job. We're trying to win games of football and you're not pulling your weight. You know, and mm. he was, he was, he was, yeah, he, he had a lot about him.
1: Craig, do you reckon, um, because he was a sort of a, maybe had an old head on his shoulders, even as a player, managerial head, he probably knew the fine margins in these games where Cobblers had no money. And they they had to pull, you know, results out of nothing. He could see just little things in games that other players maybe were a bit oblivious to, do you reckon?
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. And and he'd played, he'd been there, seen it, done it. You know, he'd played at a higher level and he'd played a lot of games of football, you know, to get to amass the amount of games that he played in the Football League. Yeah, he knew them, he knew the detail, yeah. And he was a good, he was a good coach as well. I don't know if he'd done his badges or, or not at that point, but you know he he was into the tactics of it um you know and he, he would he would put a team together and I used to pay a lot of attention to him you know because obviously I used to look up to the the staff a lot you know and, and listen and that's why I didn't bloody go and head that ball at Blackpool cuz I wanted to do as I was told but you know so the detail that he used to put into it um I used to take a lot of notice of and and yeah he he um he definitely could see the game, yeah, he knew, he could play anywhere, couldn't he, yeah, he played up front, he played right back, centre back, you know, he could play anywhere, he filled in at left back, I think, as well, at some points, and, you know, he could use both feet, and, you know, you'd often see him, and he's got this, he used to stand with his legs crossed, I don't know if you remember, he used to stand with his legs crossed when he was get, having a breather, but he would never, he would always be talking to the team, and pointing, you know, and putting people in position, so we didn't get break it broke down, or whatever, and I just yeah, full of admiration for for the boss, and um, you know I was gutted when when it happened with you know with John coming in, and um, yeah, some it died in it for me as well at that point. I'll, I'll be honest, you know, because I knew John didn't like me anyway. So um, Phil was in yeah. a nutshell, Phil was hard done by. He was a legend at the club, and yeah. he should have been given more time, and um, he wasn't. I think he was taken for granted. That's what I think. Um, because he'd been yeah. at the club for so long, and
1: um, maybe but- yeah, I think you're right there. Do you know do you know the the phrase familiarity breeds contempt? So the the more you do, the less you, you the people um you yeah. know um, recognize you and value you, and that's that that might have been something that happened to him. Um, you took talk, we talked a little bit off air about uh, bringing Martin here. You were at the club, and you can sort of explain to us that you were beginning to break into the football club. Um. Around the time of the financial problems, yes. and went to Barnet that that fateful game, and a lot of people were let go. Um, I think it was Theo Foley and the, yeah. the Traer management staff, and all the um, quite a lot of the players. But um, well, I yeah. just quickly bring Martin just before we go to you, Craig. Um, you were yeah. at that game, weren't right, you, Martin?
2: Yeah, yeah. Which mean, so I guess I'm I'm going to be 93, so I'm probably 19 or 20, 19 or 20 then. Um, yeah. It was a. Yeah, it was it was kind of a, a weird feeling because I mean obviously there's been prom, problems around the club for yeah. for some time with Richie and it sort of come to a head. Mm. But what I remember about it because it wasn't you know well like many of the seasons then it wasn't particularly great for the for the football. Mm. But the atmosphere that day almost because it had all come to a head and we we lost that game I think three 0 Yeah. But the atmosphere in the on the terrace was absolutely brilliant because it was yeah. almost like a bit like you sort of said that, you know, how much you cared about the club. I think people realised that, God, you know, things are looking precarious here, mm. and, you know, we're going to go, we're going to, you know, see our arts out for, you know, players who a lot of us only would have known from seeing their name in the programme for, yeah. for youth team stuff. Yeah. But uh, it was, it was like an awesome day out, and obviously, then, you know, things then spurned what happened with the supporters trust and lots of things that, kept, that came out of it, but that yeah. day in particular, it was like... I remember
0: it, yeah. I remember going... I, I, I'll tell you now, I remember um, pulling away from... So, the game's gone. I was on the bench that day, and I, again, I was like a 14th man. Um, you know, I, I went... I, I remember the night before, somebody rang the home phone, because it was only home phones, then, and said, I've just picked up the Chronicle and Echo. It was uh, I've got the date here, I've got the clipping. It's uh, April the 3rd, 92. Uh, Friday, April the 3rd, so it was the Saturday the 4th, so... He says you're in the you're in the team tomorrow. So I runs round to the spa shop on Oblis Rise, where I lived on on the, over the other side of the road, in, near the Sunnyside pub at the top of Beltun Green Road. So I runs through the park, and um, don't forget I was a first team, uh, first year apprentice at the time, and uh, runs through the park, buys the neck and there's my name um, on the on the back page, um, you know, and I'm in the starting lineup, and I was for me then. I was, yeah, I was like a proper cobbler then, almost. And so I remember everything vividly. It was a hot, sunny day. We goes down to Barnet, the boss names the team. I wasn't in the squad at the end of the day. I was, like I say, I was 14th man or whatever they used to call it then. But I was still buzzing. I've got photos of myself in the dugout that day. And um, it's still in my tracksuit and whatnot. But I remember driving away after the game. I remember the game vividly. It was, I say, it was hot, sunny. I think Bull scored their goals. Can't remember his first name now. Yeah, uh,
2: Gary Bull, I Bull.
0: think. Yeah, and um, the we it, the fans were brilliant, and we drove off. And about half a mile down the road, there was about a hundred Cobbler supporters at a pub in Barnet, and we were on the coach, and. Um, the coach drove really slowly past the supporters, and the supporters were like flags above their head, flags everywhere, scarfs. It was just that moment. Then is what Martin's trying to explain the um, the uh, I don't know what's the word, the passion and the and the and the love for the club. They realised then, I think. We need to we need to dig in here and almost be like a 12th man, um, and with the, the 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 players felt that as well. I remember like little rumours when we were driving home, and uh, you know on the coach and and you know saying how good the support was. The players back then appreciated. I'm not saying they don't now. Of course they appreciate when we were allowed back in the grounds and that. But back then, at that point when when the team needed the fans, they were really there, you know, and and it wasn't a passage of uh, games where there was loads of wins because there wasn't, you know, there was very rarely a win, there was a couple of draws and the odd win but uh, but the supporters were always there uh, and that, that massively helped, you know, and um, I think that, yeah, I know what Martin's on about, the day was surreal um, 100% the rest of that season was for me, it was very surreal um, but yeah, it was um, it was interesting times to say the least, yeah
1: Mm. Um. Martin, didn't the players come down to the fans at the end and they sort of all sort of clapped each other in a sort of a sort
2: of a yeah, way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I recall recall that in in almost a way they normally you normally would after a win or you know mm. grabbing a late mm. point or something. But it was it was that day was about more than what went on on the pitch. I mm. think it was, mm. it's as as great as that kind of togetherness, that passion, that. You know, all of us knowing we we're were we in bother, but everyone was pulling in the same direction, which maybe with dodgy ownership and such like, mm, sometimes yeah. things get, you get in a bit of conflict. But actually, the players, the supporters, the staff, all of them just care about Northampton Town.
1: Mm. Mm. It's such a shame, Craig, because I've watched a couple of videos back from that time and we were laughing the other day about that Bromsgrove Rovers game where they came and turned us over at the uh, County Ground, the FA Cup. But there yeah. were some good players. There were some good players dotted in and around that team, and you've been through yeah, quite a few of them. I was yeah. a big Mickey Bell fan, and he went on to a great career with Wickham and people like that. Yeah. You've got people like Terry Angus, who went on to Fulham. Steve Brown, obviously, was a very, really, you know, very good player for Wickham, and you know, played in the FA Cup semi-final, I think he did. And yeah, it's just you reckon it was that financial crisis which sort of killed the momentum. Theo Foley had to go, and just yeah, it uh, yeah. in that think- terrible period.
0: Yeah, because Theo was Fio was had uh, pieced together a good side, but I think he was. What happened was he was near the top of uh, Division Four the season before, um, yeah. and the club started paying out sort of Division Three money, I think, to get the players through the door. You know, um, I mean, people like Steve Terry are not on peanuts. You know, that he'd been played in an FA Cup final five six years earlier for Watford. He'd been at Hull help City in Division 2 or whatever at the time. And, you know, he was on good dough. And, you know, Stuart Bevan, he wouldn't have been on, you know, he'd have been on good dough, to be fair, you know. And there was was players in there that um, were probably being paid. I'm not just saying them two or three players, but the players in there or the club paying maybe Division 3 or League 2, whatever it was back then, money. And it didn't quite work out the following season. And that's when it seemed to just hit home that we've spent more than we've earned, probably. And all of a sudden, the club are just in this free fall. And um, I remember the day when it happened. You know, we all went in the players' lounge and they called out two sets of names. These names stay here. The other names go in the, um, the supporters' lounge. And then... Um, the gaff, well, Phil Chard at the time as a player stayed in our room where we was, the players that were going to stay. And I think I'm pretty sure it was Trevor Quo. He was the PFA rep at the time, went in the other room and he had to explain to them that they're all getting let go. I, I don't know if it was Trevor or not, but Trevor was the PFA rep. Anyway, we just got called out Two two different groups of players, one go in that bar, one stay here. And then Savage. That, Savage, yeah, that is. I, I was I um when I realised what had happened, um, Pete Norton was the club photographer. And I was in absolute bits that day. We we wasn't gonna train. That was first thing in the morning when we got called in, blah blah. Uh I had to go and clear out um Theo's office. That was my job back then, go and clear his office out, put things in boxes, come out carrying this box, put it in his club Volvo no, oh. Northampton uh, town on the side, walked down to the hotel end and just broke down in tears, sitting on the, uh, the red barrier, the red handle barrier on the, uh, the hotel end. And Pete Norton come down and said, do you mind if I take a photo? And I said, no, I don't want a photo taken. Um, cause I was, cr- I was crying my eyes out the club. I thought the club was going, you know, pop. I just, I didn't think there was going to be a Northampton town. Um, mm. so yeah, I just remember sitting on there, uh whew, just trying to you know comprehend what was going on and um yeah just straight must yeah I remember the day vividly and um mm. it, it
1: must have been really uh, hard because Theo Foley had been Arsenal assistant manager only a few years before. Yeah. So to c- clear out his office, such as sort of a guy with um such a history in the game and stuff and Clear out of his office and put it in a box and put it in his car. It must have been yeah. sad enough for anyone, let alone. Oh yeah, the and there was photos
0: of his Arsenal days. You know, Theo was a big—he was a big character in football. You know, and mm-hmm. and um, probably the club's. Well, uh, back then, probably the club's biggest signing as a manager. You know, or biggest name since probably Dave Bowen. I don't know if I'm too well. Graham Carr was well, was brilliant, obviously. Uh, but Theo yeah. was a, as an ex-player. I'm probably saying Theo was an ex-player. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it felt you
2: know, like a bit of a coup, didn't it? I mean, getting someone with such a high profile, to come and manage yeah. the Cobblers, you know, yeah. in the mm. aftermath of the Graham Carr years, it was like, well, you know, yeah, that, there must, there, there, was a feeling then of right, you know, we're, we're almost stepping on again.
0: Yeah, it had to be a name, didn't it? It couldn't have been, it couldn't have been somebody else from non-league coming in and managing the club like, well, like Carr did. It had to be. You know, almost a, a big character and and Theo had just come from Arsenal, so nothing better. Mm. they just they'd won the league, you know, uh, beat Liverpool that night and and what have you. and then he's there, you know, and um mm. it was um, yeah, that was that was uh, he he used to yeah, Theo Theo liked playing free center Arsenal you remember? It used to be Pat Scully, Steve Terry, and Terry Angus quite a bit. and um yeah, Pat played through the middle, I think Terry 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 and pat scully used to swap left and center and stevie played on the right um and um, well, we're
1: playing craig we're playing three at the back now so maybe he was a bit ahead of his time then he might have been yeah
0: yeah but, uh, he definitely <laughs> but knew did. his stuff definitely knew his stuff
1: yeah and uh what a brilliant club man and um what's really nice about this including yourself there's a lot of people you mentioned that were Put their shift in for the football club and that's really nice to talk about them and they need to be sort of talked about a little bit more um mm. we need to we need to wrap up now because we've been Oof. talking for for ages but i reckon we could easily do a part two of this probably a book as well let's just write <laughs> a book <laughs> but yeah. um let's wrap up with some sort of more sort of upbeat stuff after the stuff. yeah um, talk to me about f and e lad my hero uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> f, f and e lad came in as i was leaving um so i'll be honest yeah. he was he was very lively uh <laughs> used to used to do a lot of dancing and and uh you know he had his own style of music and things like that but he was yeah, he when he came in i was just going um and I'd, I'd sort of been banished to be training with the youth team and things like that by john at the time yeah. so my yeah that bit of it I sort of of you know when you love something and you remember it, but you didn't enjoy some it so the the memory's a bit yeah steep. that's where I am with that. but what a guy apparently, I mean um,
1: apparently uh, he went to Ritz's wearing a uh, shorts and a bomber jacket that's a, that's a legend so he, that's,
0: that's he, yeah he could well have done yeah, he could well have done <laughs> we we used to see the club. We didn't realise at the time, as a footballer, you're, you're quite, not thick, but you're, you know, you're, you're based around football and then going out kind of thing. That's how you see a lot of So, the club used to have this membership with Ritzes and all you had to all do right. was show your that. little player's card and you'd sign the book. And it was it was always like the cobbler's players could walk to the front of the queue, sign the book and you're in. So, okay. we always, yeah, we used to go and you know sign the book or whatever and uh, in we go. Of course, then the boss would probably go down Ritz's on the on the Monday morning and see what Cobblers players were in Ritz's on the on the Saturday night, you know. So it was a way of all, <laughs> also sort of keeping their eye on us. And um, oh, okay, yeah. you know that leads to that Christmas party you were on about. The, the, when we had that sort of atmosphere around us and that camaraderie, we went out on a Christmas do, all dressed up, and uh, we went in. Uh, I think it was Luigi's or something. It was a, like an Italian uh, down. Um, on the Wellingborough Road. so we all meet at the, uh, at the Abington uh, Park Brewery or whatever. We go in there, all dressed up. Pete comes, takes a photo. We all go down and have some to eat, and we come out. And um, I'm, i was, i was—I think I was a first year, and I was—I don't know what I was. I was—I was half cut anyway, and I was dressed as a copper. So I'm in this police lady's outfit. And uh, all the lads are trying to cross the road, and of course it's b- busy Christmas traffic. Everyone's out Christmas shopping and whatnot, and and the lads can't get across the road. So uh, Brownie's gone. Um, you know, but my nickname is Bully, it still is. He goes, Bully, get in the road and cross the side. So I'm in the I'm in the middle of the road, holding the, holding one hand up with my palm out like a police officer. <laughs> and I'm, waving, I'm waving everyone across. And then, and then all the shoppers start using me as well. So all the, all the all the lads are in the in the pub over the road, and I'm still crossing like everybody over. I started I started enjoying it, so I stayed there for about half hour. Felt quite important. Didn't, didn't, didn't realise I'd, I'd stop um, the boss, so I'd stop yeah. Phil Chad. I'm just you know I was still half cut, so I'm stopping him. Everyone's crossing over. Next oh, day we goes in, I gets a call. Um, Paul Curtis comes down to the change room, says, uh, uh bully, um, gaffer wants to see you. So I goes out, I'm thinking, oh, brilliant. You know, I might be in the squad or so. I don't know what it was. But I went down there thinking I'm, you know, thinking I'm some, it Stands it, stands at the door, not, says, Yeah. So I goes in, he said, all oh, right. He says, Um, I went to sit down, he says, Don't sit comes in and Stuart Bevan, Stuart Bevan comes in I'm thinking oh what have I done and um, he said where was you yesterday and I said I was out on the Christmas do boss with, with everybody else he said oh right he said what the hell were you doing crossing uh, crossing people over and stopping traffic <laughs> and I, and I was thinking how do you know and he said you know that um, Goldie Silver Volvo you stopped and I was like no but I got the gist of it he said yeah that was me he said um, yeah <laughs> He said, uh I've had a few complaints. I don't know how far he took it, but yeah, I stopped him and I was crossing pedestrians for fun, like you know. I I got carried away in the moment, but um you know, it was a good crack back then. It was it was I think I think we knew what we was a little bit, even though I wasn't a big time player and I wish I'd have had a you know, a five hundred league game career with Northampton. That's what I wanted. I wanted that. I wanted yeah, a club legend, and it never happened. And I think that's probably why it still cuts me a bit now with with how I had to leave. But uh, the players also—you talked about the bigger players there. You know, your you, your Richardson's, your Terry's, uh, your your Terry Angus's, your Steve Browns, your Mickey Bell's. You know, um, there was good players there. Bev, you know, they that we were all. You know, we were all in it together, basically, and it was it was it felt like um I don't want to sound corny, but it was like a big like family feel. I don't know how to put it without sounding yeah. a little bit, but it was it we were tight knit, let's put it that way. And I'm not saying teams haven't been tight knit since then, but they haven't been in that situation where you're almost half your squad has gone and you've still got to try and win games. It pulls you together a little bit you know and and i think that was what happened and uh it was it although it was a rough time for the club it was a good time to be part of that um that whole bubble and the supporters must have felt that as well martin you know it was yeah it was um that's how it was you know and uh, i have great memories of being at the football club and um you know i want to see them do well now i'm glad they gave um keith curl a bit more time and he might not play everyone's style of football, but he can be effective um, when he when it comes good and that. So, um, you know, good luck to him now as well. Um, still a fan.
1: Well, well said, mate. And it's really nice to hear these stories. And, you know, I'm sure Martin will agree that, you know, you might not have played the 500 games you wanted, you know, how you wanted it to pan out, but you still played a lot more games than we did. And as kids, me and Martin and probably a lot of the listeners would have done anything to put that shirt on. You managed yep. to do it, so you've got a lot of proud stuff to look look back on, mate.
0: Yeah, 100%. No, I've only fond memories. Only fond memories, yeah. So uh, it was that's good. Really nice. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah,
1: for t- taking the time to talk to
2: us. Martin, I'm sure you've, um, you'll thank uh, Craig as well. Yeah, absolutely, Craig. Really, really appreciate it. That was a really entertaining listen. I don't I don't envy Tom having to edit it, edit it down either because <laughs> I, I don't know what I'd want to leave out. But, um, yeah, no, but right.
1: no, that, no, that, no. What we'll do is we'll um, we'll edit it for the sort of main show and then I'll release it at the whole thing as a sort of a feature length one because there's so many great stories in there. So take it easy, Craig, and um, we'll speak again soon, mate.
0: And you. Take care. See Cheers, you later. Cheers Martin. See you Cheers. later, mate. guys.